Ephesians chapter 2. Our title this morning is Alive Together with Christ. And our key words for our worshipers and training are gospel, grace, and faith. We will be looking in just a moment at verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, this passage we're going to look at is the absolute essence of what we believe as Christians. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge all of us to spend time this year memorizing these ten verses. This is what we believe. And so what I want us to consider this morning is what happens to a person? What happens that one day we are walking in and loving our sin and then the next day we love, we desire, we long for, we want more of, we strive for everything that is in us to glorify Christ? Because all of us are rational, educated, mostly commonsensical people, right? So what is it that happens to us that we believe the things of the Scriptures? Let me give you a few examples that paints this even more vividly to show us why it is so unbelievable what we do believe. That God created all things in six days. And it was perfect. And He called it good and indeed called it very good. He created man and out of his side created woman. And they lived in the perfect garden and they ate from the tree being deceived by a talking serpent to eat the fruit of the tree which caused the fall of all of mankind. We see that God caused plagues to happen to certain people and not certain others. We saw a man lift his staff and split a sea that they could walk through. Time stops in the Bible. Walls fall down at the shout of people. A man lived in the belly of a fish and was spit out onto the land. Two of every animal existed together on a giant ark. And miracle of miracles, God became man, was born of a virgin, never sinned, healed people, raised people from the dead, walked on water, turned water into wine, cast out demons, made enough food out of five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 once and 4,000 another time, was killed on a cross, was buried for three days in a tomb, raised from the dead, appeared In the flesh, two people for 40 days ascended into heaven and is now alive and sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning for all of eternity. He is God as much as the Father is God and as much as the Holy Spirit is God and exists as one God. And now we commune with Him in His Word which is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is without error. We commune with Him in prayer and worship and baptism and the Lord's Supper and the communing of the saints together. And He is returning again to execute wrath on the unjust, to fully glorify those whom He has called just and to create the new heavens and the new earth where we, along with Christ, will reign forever. Do you believe all that? 
<laughs> yeah, we sure do. How in the world does that happen? A talking serpent? A boat with two of every animal? Unbelievable. And furthermore, we can consider our own lives. My own life. I wasn't a church kid. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. It was a moral home. It wasn't Christian by any means. We didn't read the Bible together. We didn't pray together. We didn't talk about Christ. I had sort of a glimpse of versions of Christianity which were not really Christian at all. On one side was sort of a fundamentalism, a legalism that taught that all I had to do was say a prayer and I would go to heaven unless I married a woman who wore pants with a zipper on the front or drank beer and I might go to hell because of those things. And on the other side was this sort of Catholicism where there was a whole other form of this works-based religion with just some different makeup about ritual and money and confessions to other people and praying to those who were not God. And then in the midst of that, would go with my friends to these crazy, ridiculous things that went on at some of their churches, like watching uh, magicians who had red towels and they'd make them white and say, see, if you believe Jesus, your sins are red and they'll be turned white like the snow. And jugglers and ventriloquists, because apparently puppets are more convincing than preachers. And so all of this was going on in my young life when the Lord saved me. And then from there, I grow up and I go to school with friends who drive BMWs and Audis and their parents are all PhD scientists. And for some reason, I had a desire in my life to have a legal career and be a politician and then join the military and I'm in special operations where they tell you over and over and over again how great and powerful and wonderful you are and how no one is as good as you. No one can compare to who you are. And in the midst of this, God makes it abundantly clear to me in the middle of the desert that I was created to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so everything about my life leads to the fact that I should be very arrogant and materialistic and, materialistic and selfish and wealth-driven and vulgar and womanizing, a chauvinist that lives for the moment and gets a good laugh at blaspheming God. And makes every attempt to gain prestige on the world stage through any means necessary, including every form of sin that could move me forward. But that's not who I am. Is that because my heart doesn't desire some of those things? No. No, it still remains. Some of these things I will always battle against. But it's not me. I love Jesus. 
I love my family. I study my Bible and I read books about these things and I love my neighbors and I strive to love my enemies. What happened? And there are a hundred stories like that sitting in this room this morning. And so it's very important as we walk into this, if you are a Christian, that you understand what you have come out of. Versus where you are now. And if you are not a Christian, that you would understand and consider where you are now and what God says about your condition and about your place and about your eternity. Because whether or not you know it or even believe it, it is absolutely true that the bed or the foundation of life as worship is built upon hopelessness and despair. Sounds wonderful, right? Every single one of us, if we have hope, if we have joy, if we have any satisfaction in this life, it is built on a foundation that began with hopelessness and despair. Now, some of us that may look more mild than for others, but it is absolutely undeniable that all of us are broken, all of us are fallen, and all of us came into this world wicked to the core. But in the midst of that, all of us were created to worship. Why is it that missionaries can go into the middle of the jungles and find primitive cultures of people worshiping trees and the sun and moon and everything else that God has created. Because they understand in their hearts that they were created to worship. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That all of creation cries out to us that God is there and is worthy of our worship. And so we see it all throughout the land. All throughout time that people worship. But the fundamental problem is that it is worship of things that are not the giver of those things. We are so prone to worship everyone and everything except for God who is to be the only source of worship and is the only source of true joy. That's why there are so many people in this world, in our families, who are broken and miserable and are chasing after one thing, after the other, after the other, that will just bring them some momentary flash of happiness. But they have no lasting fulfillment in their lives. So what happens? How do we get from this despair to a place where we love and cherish and long for and want more of Christ and His people and His Word. Let's begin in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, it is essential to our becoming new creations in Christ to understand our condition before Christ. To understand our hearts and all that exists within them. The essential problem is what we find all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. There's us, there's God, and we wish we were Him and that He was not, right? Adam and Eve had a great desire to know what was good, and not only what was good, but also what was evil. They desired to be God. So then, we get to decide what's right and what's wrong. We get to decide what's worthy of worship, and we decide what our lives should look like. It's all up to us. And so we are, we were, verse 1, what? Dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, I think the most common misunderstanding of the nature of sin and why so many people quickly become very disinterested and reject spiritual things altogether is that sin is sort of just made out to be this sort of simple rule-breaking. So God, in essence, is a referee in the sky blowing His whistle every time you mess up. And He just records it in a book to remember, and then you go to heaven and He says, ah, no big deal, and everything's fine. That is the majority understanding of what sin is. But the problem with understanding God this way and sin this way is that sin is not our outward actions. Sin is an issue of our hearts. And our hearts lead to those actions. Dead men do dead man types of things. So the problem is that we think This is actions, and so we try to change our outward actions, and everything seems okay, but the source is never dealt with. So our actions never change. They only lead to greater frustration and greater sin. It's like finding contamination in a stream. And so we go downstream a little ways and we pull out the water we want and we treat that water and we purify that water. But every time we go back to the water, we have to take it out. We have to treat it. We have to purify it. Why not go upstream to the source? Our hearts are the source. Until we understand that, we will continually say yes to the things that the Bible calls sin because we in our essence, in our nature, are completely broken, completely fractured. And if you don't believe that, just spend 20 minutes in the nursery. Or come to my house and watch me tell my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter no and see what happens. 
from our very beginning. We are self-centered and self-serving and narcissistic and we have wicked souls and no one has to train that into us, right? Parents, you have to train your kids how to be bad, how to disobey. (laughs) In fact, even non-Christian parents understand on some level that what goes on in their children's lives is not okay, is not ideal at least. And they attempt to train out something that looks exactly opposite of that. But it continues on. Why? It's their essence. It's their nature. This is a soul issue. We have broken, fractured souls. And apart from Christ, we don't simply mature out of this, right? It doesn't improve with age, and in fact, it only gets worse and it gets more sophisticated. We have more means by which we can sin. We have more money. We have modes of transportation. We have no one watching over our shoulder to tell us not to do that. And so it only gets worse. Think of it this way. If every thought, even within the last hour, if every thought that you've had and if every motive in your heart were brought to me and handed to me on a sheet of paper right now. And I read that out to everybody who's sitting in here. You would leave town and you would get a new identity. Every one of us is guilty. But most of us aren't all that bothered by it. And some are thinking... You could read all of that, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal because I'm just not as bad as some other people that I know. And compared to others in our own minds, we're all pretty good, right? So people shouldn't be upset. And if we're sitting there listening about someone else's life, we would say, Yeah, that person is messed up. Not me. And so we end up pretending to be someone else altogether. Minimizing our own sin. Elevating others' sins. And saying, yeah, I have a few things. Nobody's perfect, right? No one is perfect. But but you, (laughs) you are definitely not perfect. It's because your idea of goodness and what is good is flawed and it is subjective, right? When every parent looks at their child when they are born, they say, this is the most beautiful child alive, right? And so you might see someone else's baby and you say, that's a cute baby. But then you compare that child to yours Unless you have a really, really ugly child, (laughs) your thought is, I have the most beautiful child in all the world, right? Nothing compares. Very subjective. 
Very subjective. What is good and right and beautiful when compared in our terms is very subjective. And so our sin when compared to others is not all that bad, right? We always find sin in others to seem far worse than the sin in us. And it may be the very same thing. But compared to a holy, righteous, infinite, perfect, spotless God that you've attacked and belittled and mocked, your sin is pretty awful. The Bible says that every single glimpse of righteousness, even a flash of righteousness in your life is like filthy, dirty, disgusting rags to God. You, in and of yourself, are not good. And any goodness you suppose is completely and totally subjective. And if we really think that we are good people, all we have to do is spend a little time paying attention to the cross. And all that led up to it. Jesus was slapped. He was spit on. His beard was plucked. Thorns were driven into His head with sticks. He was stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And a spear was run into His side so that He would bleed out and die. And all of this is only a minuscule sampling of what is happening spiritually as the Father pours out His wrath and eternal condemnation on His very own Son. And His reaction to our sin is anger and wrath and He will justly damn every one of us as we exist in it. Look, I know that is not popular. We don't walk around telling everyone that because it just sounds like hellfire and damnation. But what do you want me to say? What's popular is that God is a sky genie that lets us mock Him and spit in His face and pluck out His beard and strip Him down and hang Him on the cross and spear Him in the side and make a mockery of Him and He just has to deal with it. And so He gives us what we want when we want it, and it ends up that He just looks past our sin and sees us feed the homeless once or twice and put change in the Salvation Army bucket when we walk outside of Walmart. And He says, that's great, come on in. That's weak. That is foolish. That is not God. God must punish Sin, or he's not God, and he's not righteous, and he's not just. So as human beings, we've been invited into this intimate, personal relationship with Christ, and we constantly reject it. And instead, as Paul writes in verse 2, we follow the course of this world and Satan carrying out, verse 3, the passions of our flesh, the desires of our bodies, and the desires of our minds. So we can do all that we want to try and repaint this picture the best that we can to make ourselves feel better about our sin. And many will, 
Romans 1 tells us that we will in time, if we are not in Christ, suppress, push down the truth in unrighteousness. Because all of us, every man everywhere, is born with God having written His law on our hearts. And in time we try to suppress it because we don't want to hear the fact that we are in sin. But I love all of you too much to not say that God is storing up wrath for you. Every idle thought, every idle word, every idle deed, every rejection of the truth, God is storing up wrath. This is all of us outside of Christ. All of our efforts, any of our works, all of our supposed morality, everything we attempt to do in our marriage, in our parenting of our children, all of our philanthropy, all of the ways that we spend our money, all of it equals death. Everything outside of Christ has the same end result. Death. That's bad news, right? It's very bad news. And it gets worse. Verse 1 tells us that we were dead in trespasses in sins. Not once have I seen a dead man say, I don't want to be dead anymore. I think I'll come back to life. And some of you in your own lives can attest to this, right? You're stuck in sin. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried and no matter how hard you've tried, you keep struggling, trying to keep away from sin. To figure things out and you just can't do it. Because no amount of church attendance, no amount of money you can give, no amount of reading books will fix your sin. Because we are dead. So can we be honest about this? Let's be honest about our condition. You know, the one, one thing I love about, and find very ironic, about talking to those who so staunchly oppose the gospel is that most often they're going to admit their condition very honestly. But Christians, on the other hand, play a sort of game. We inquire, we ask them, How, how's it going? How is your life? How are things going? And we say, uh, it's, it's going really well. Everything's okay. And there's, nothing's a big deal. In fact, I'm doing really, in fact, I was praying the other day and I felt like maybe I was floating a little bit. And I'm praying constantly, and I'm about a week away from memorizing the entire Bible. Okay, so this is like the extent of our exaggeration to pretend that everything is fine. That we're not broken, but we are. And it wears us out. So let's be honest about our condition. So Paul tells us we're dead, we're following the world, we're following Satan, we're fulfilling and loving the sins of the flesh, carrying them all out. 
And all the desires of the body, as opportunity arises, are being worked out. And as a result, we are children of wrath. Rightful recipients of the wrath of God. Right alongside all of mankind. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to change it. So again, how do we go from that? to loving and cherishing Christ and wanting only to live for Him and seeing the things of the world grow strangely dim as we look full into His wonderful face. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. Now notice when God shows mercy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This is amazing. And this is the difference of the religion of morality and works versus the gospel of Christ. Moralism and works says, clean yourself up, get yourself right, and then come to God and maybe He will accept you. But the gospel says, while you were, what? Dead in your trespasses and sins. That is when God made you alive together with Christ. And it is by His grace that you are saved. He has shown you unmerited favor despite the fact that you have lived a life of rebellion and sin and nothing in you can be deemed good or savable for God's cause. Despite the fact God came upon you, believer, when you were dead and made you alive with Christ. Verse 6, And raised us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now notice this a lot. Get this wrong. God does not simply enable a person to be saved, right? That's not what Paul writes. God is not an enabler. He is a doer. He saves. If God just enabled you to be saved, who gets to boast? You do. Verse 8 says it is not your own doing. It is by God's grace through faith that God saves. 
Listen to this again. And be amazed by this. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If this is your game, if you did this, worship would not explode inside of you. You just pat yourself on the back. But the Bible says that this was all of God. Even, verse 8, even the faith to believe the grace that God has lavished upon us in Christ is from God. Grace and faith, all from God. So what happens? I love the world, I love my sin, and then all of a sudden, I love God. I love Jesus. I love God's law. I love the gospel. I love the church. What happens? Grace happens. God in Christ gives me faith, shows me grace. He doesn't kill me and send me to hell as I deserve, but rather transforms my heart. Makes me alive together with Christ. Gives me new desires. Gives me great eternal hope in that I am His Son. I am adopted into His family, no longer wandering about this earth as an orphan. And as a result, I inherit all of His riches. I am raised with Christ as His workmanship and now strive to make Him look as glorious as He truly is in all of my life as I walk in continued grace and am kept by Him to the end, proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed. And there are some of you in here this morning who are outside of Christ, and you know exactly what I mean when I say that without Christ, you feel the weight and the pressure of God's wrath pushing against you constantly. Always feeling that something's wrong. Nothing brings peace. There is no joy. And it gets worse with time, because God's wrath is building. And we may just think that's just how it is. That's life. And some of you may leave here and just say, well, that was all, that was all just hellfire, damnation, stupidity. I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. But some of you will be back again and again and again. Now, look, I just told you that you're wicked and God has wrath stored up to destroy you. So what brings you back? What brings any of us back? Grace. God at work in our lives. And if God is pressing in on you now, you may just very well wake up one day very soon and realize, I believe this. I want this. I cannot live without this. It's grace. 
Look, the good news is not that you get to come to church for the rest of your life and sing songs and listen to me preach. That is not good news. (laughs) The good news is not that you become morally upstanding and don't drink or cuss or chew or date girls who do. The good news is that despite your sin, despite your rebellion, the broken and irreplaceable and irreparable within us is made right before God by His grace. And we are given a right standing with Him as we approach His throne with confidence. Because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, on behalf of His people who He died for, By taking on our sin and giving us His righteousness. That's good news. That is very good news. And when all of this happens to us, all of a sudden we have one goal in this life. We have one treasure and it is Christ and His glory. And that means far greater to us than anything else. And we see all of life through that lens. And if that is not you, if you are not concerned with Christ and His glory, and yet you continue to claim Christ as your own, you need to address your heart. If this is not in your heart, if you are not enamored with Christ, if nothing in you is saying, I need Him, I love Him, I want to grow in Him, then you should be nervous. And you should be afraid right now. Because it's very well possible that you may not be a Christian. And some would say that I shouldn't cause you to consider that, but it is in our culture and it is our surrounding that is filled with people who claim Christ but have zero affections for Him or for His commands. So all I'm saying is if this is you, then please check your heart. Let's be honest this morning. Not with everyone else, just with yourself right now. Just put off pretending for a while and be honest. Where are you in all of this? What is your soul longing for? What are you finding hope in? Is it the sky genie? Or is it the biblical Jesus? Maybe it's your job or your money or your good works. Some of you are still absolutely dead in your trespasses and sins. And if you're honest, you will say, I know what you're saying. I have no lasting joy. I have no hope. I have no real purpose. I am just getting by. And I'm doing all that I know, and I'm still feeling this weight of God against my soul. Jesus is not real to me, and life is this weird thing of either playing church or wanting nothing to do with church. I don't know Jesus Christ. And some of you will say, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but because of either laziness or because of some secret sin in my life, I'm filled with selfish ambition and pride. And my love for Christ is not abounding and it is not steadfast. My worship is stale. My prayer is really non-existent. My joy is minimal. 
I have unconfessed sin, and I have this lame, boring, mediocre type of faith. Some of us are just not yet tired of our sin. It hasn't cost us enough yet. And a beaten, bloody, wrath-receiving Jesus is not compelling enough to crush We keep playing with it. It will cost us dearly. If you confess your sin, on the other hand, if you walk in the life of repentance, healing begins. Restoration begins. Sin loses its power. Grace gains victory in our lives. And darkness is suppressed by light. And so all of us have to get to a place where we admit our condition. Where we understand our place with God right now. And as a result of that, confessing our sins, relying on grace, finding absolute lasting joy in God who saves us and raises us as His own to be alive. And praise be to God that there are some in here right now who hear that and say, I'm there. I am walking with great joy and satisfaction in Jesus. Praise God. There's much more to attain in Christ. And take heed lest you fall. But praise God for joy, lasting joy in Christ. Not dead in trespasses and sins, but alive together with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, it is absolutely stunning that we sit here and we contemplate the great work that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. That as those who were dead in trespasses in sins, no desire whatsoever for you for your people, for your word, for your commands. Constantly pushing against all that you have called us to be and do. Constantly rebelling against your good and perfect and righteous law. And yet in our deadness you saw fit to Call us onto yourself and make us new creations. Cause in all of us who are in Christ to explode with joy, to rejoice in the Savior, to have nearly unbearable affections for Christ because they are so overwhelming. Help us, Father, to weep over our sins and to weep with joy. Give us more of Christ. Father, I pray for those who are here who do not know you. 
I pray, Father, that they would be very honest about that. That they would search their hearts. They would consider Your Word. They would consider their own sin. They would consider their own death. And that You, Father, would use Your Word by the power of the Holy Spirit that You would grant them faith, that You would give them grace, and that they would believe. For those who are here, Father, who are stagnant, who have for quite some time felt little or no growth, little or no desire spiritually in their lives, Their prayer life is stale. They spend little time in the Word. And being here and coming here has just sort of become ritualistic. Father, challenge their hearts. Challenge all of our hearts to consider what You have accomplished for us in Christ. Let that in and of itself be so amazing that we are driven to You more and more and more. Build in us, Father, lives of repentance with a desire to live openly in the light, confessing our sin, being renewed day by day, transformed by the gospel, alive together with Christ. We rejoice, Father, with all who are here and who are tracking, who are doing so well, who are growing who are living by faith, who are trusting in the righteousness provided by Christ. Father, we rejoice in that. And we all pray that we will be there and continue to grow from there. And Father, we know, we know that we will all struggle in our faith. We know that we are all fallen, we are all broken, and we all need each other. Father, unite our hearts with one another because of Christ. Because of Christ. Help us, Lord, to live by faith, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and in deed, that we would experience great joy and satisfaction and that you would be glorified in all the nations. We love you, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus.